0: This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from BRF Ministries. Parenting for Faith exists to help you help the children and teens in your life to meet and to know God. We do this through online events, courses and resources, and you can find out more at parentingforfaith.org. Hello and welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name's Anna Hawkin, I'm your host, and this is episode nine of season seven, Now, in season seven, we've been looking at all sorts of different things that you might come across on the journey of parenting for faith, of walking alongside your children and teenagers, of co-journeying with them. And we were talking last week about when um, church lets your kid down or your teenager down where there's some difficulty or some conflict. So do go back and listen to that if you haven't had a chance. And today's kind of related, actually. It's talking about when your child walks away from faith. For many of us as Christian parents and carers we really hope and pray that our children will come to meet and know God for themselves and some of them do uh, and then stay with that and that's their whole lifetime Um, but for others they either never come to faith that's not something that they accept and choose for themselves or they're engaged for a period of time and then as they get older and different things happen they walk away. And that can be really tough and really painful. So we wanted to get Sarah and Linda's wisdom um, and just kind of walk you through that. Uh, if this isn't relevant to you at the moment, it, it probably is for someone you know. Um, so do send this podcast episode along and why not listen to it as well so that you can better support them. Um, I also just wanted to remind you we've got a pop up small group coming up next week. So on the 14th of November, all about how to talk to our kids about tough times. How do we keep our own relationship with God during that time? How do we help them to connect with him? Every one of us needs this. None of us have perfect lives all the time. So I'd really encourage you to join either just on your own, log on to Facebook at eight o'clock. Or we really feel like you get the most out of these if you're able to watch with a few friends. So text a couple of people and invite them over, arrange a video call for afterwards or see if they can pop it on at church. But let's hear the conversation now between Lucy, Sarah and Linda.
1: Today, we're talking about a situation that's relevant to many Christian parents, and that is what do we do if or when our child turns away from faith? To speak into this subject, I'm delighted to welcome a mother and daughter who have walked this journey Linda Green and Sarah Walton. Linda has been married to Ray for 45 years, they have three children and 10 grandchildren. Formerly, she was the Women's Ministry Director of The Orchard Evangelical Free Church in Arlington Heights, Illinois. She retired two years ago to Colorado to be near her children and grandchildren. Mm. Her daughter, Sarah, who joins us today, is an author. You may know her from her excellent books on suffering and hope, such as Hope When It Hurts or Together Through the Storms. Uh, Sarah is married to Jeff with three kids, and they also live in Colorado. So welcome, Linda and Sarah, to the podcast today. Thank thank you so much. It's such a privilege to have you. And I'm just going to dive straight in with you, Sarah. Can you just share for our listeners a little bit of your story of faith and walking away? What did that look like?
2: Sure. Well, um, first of all, I'm the youngest of three. I am the only daughter. So I have two older brothers. Um, My parents were both believers um, from the time that they they had us. So they raised us um, with the scripture. They raised us to know who Jesus was, our need for salvation. And I remember when I was probably about five-ish, I remember having this desire of wanting to have a a faith of my own. And so I did. I talked with my mom. We prayed. And I remember through all through elementary school, I really did have this heart to want to follow Jesus from at least what I could understand at that age, right? Um, But junior high was really a huge transition year. And I went into a junior high that had a just a really difficult class with very sexually aggressive boys, very, a lot of just pressures that were kind of, it was just, it hit me kind of like a tidal wave. And I don't know that I was prepared or knew what to expect. So those were really difficult years that started to really test um, what I actually believed to test who I was um, and also our relationship because I wanted to obey them. I wanted to do what they said was right, but I was feeling this immense pressure coming from the world. And so they actually took me out of that school, put me into a private school for two years, which alleviated some of that pressure. But then I went back into high school with that same group. Mm-hmm. and I was also an athlete. So that was kind of my saving grace at the time was it kind of kept me grounded at the time. It was where I found a lot of my value. And um, in many ways, my identity <clears throat> didn't, I wouldn't, I don't think I knew that at the time, but um, through those few years of high school, um, I started to experience more and more of that pressure. Um, I was not treated very well by by many boys. Um, and what that did is it bottled me up instead of going to my parents and saying, look, this is what's happening. I was embarrassed by it. I felt so ashamed. Like this is my fault. I'm doing something wrong. I'm, I'm being so sinful, even being in this environment and I'm not, you know, so I didn't know how to handle it well. So I started to internalize it. I started to act out because I, I felt lost. I felt so much pressure. I felt scared. I felt embarrassed. Um, and so in some ways it felt easier to join the culture than to keep fighting it. And yet at the same time, I still wanted to do what was right. And so I had this internal battle just going on inside of me. So my third year in high school, um, I went through some really difficult stuff with a basketball coach and that was kind of my primary sport that kind of sent me spiraling and I had to stop playing altogether and so all of a sudden I found myself floundering. Like I, now I don't even know what my purpose is. This is where I found confidence. Um, and it started to just bring out anger. I, I was, I was lost. I felt so, um, I felt so much shame from what I was dealing with at all. I felt shame by my response to it. And I felt so alone because I, I didn't feel like I I could talk to my parents, not because they weren't trying, but in my head, I was telling myself, they'll be so disappointed in me. They're going to be angry with me, you know, all of these things. And so that kind of spiraled until I just really went into a very deep depression. I was angry at the world. I was angry at my parents. Everything they tried to do to help me just seemed to bring more anger out in me. Um, And it eventually led me to um, the point of overdosing on some things that I was really just looking, I think, for a cry for help. And it ended up putting me into the um, pediatric psych ward. And that is really where I hit rock bottom. It was kind of a, a fork in the road moment for me um, and really my relationship with my parents. Mm-hmm.
1: And how old were you at that stage? I think I
2: was 17. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot to walk through. And and Linda, as a mom, <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. if you can yeah. even articulate, how how was that to walk through that period with Sarah?
3: Well, let me start by saying that I was absolutely thrilled one day. um, God gave us a daughter after (laughs) our two boys. Um, And my greatest desire was that she and I would be close friends and sisters one day. Mm. And so her struggles during this season were a really big test of faith for me. Um, When our our relationship began to struggle, I did everything that I knew uh, to encourage her and help her. But as things intensified when she got into high school, the distance between us continued to increase. So I saw this battle going on in Sarah, but at the same time, I was fighting my own battle to trust God with her life. And I found myself um, vacillating between exasperation over her rebellion and her unwillingness to talk to us and the fear of losing her. But when I saw her falling into a depression and that place of hopelessness, I I felt completely out of my depth. Mm. I literally tried everything I knew to reach Sarah's heart until I finally got to the point where I saw that nothing I said or did was going to get through to her. At that point, I just really felt powerless and afraid. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people listening can relate to that as well that feeling of, well, what can I do? I'm a parent. I should be able to fix this, but I can't. Right,
3: exactly, yeah.
1: And you've touched on this, Linda, but how did God work in your heart through this experience? Can you go into a a bit more detail about that?
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, by God's grace, the discipline of being in His Word each day was already firmly established in my life. So that's where I naturally turned um, as my concerns about Sarah continued to grow. Uh, As my own words uh, continued to fall short, God graciously gave me words of scripture to pray for her. And one of those was Genesis 20, 21, where he said, the enemy has meant this for evil, but I have meant it for good, for the saving of many lives. So I, I prayed these scriptures. I clung to them for hope. Um, But at the same time, God began to do some spiritual heart surgery in in my own life. For one, he began to reveal a spirit of self-righteousness that I had been blind to. By nature, I was a rule follower, and peer pressure had never been a challenge (laughs) for me as a teen, that it was proving to be for Sarah. Um, And at the same time, I was really just starting to grow in my own understanding of gospel grace versus law, which allowed our differences combined with her resistance to our boundaries to create a growing wall between Sarah and me. And, And so over time, God reminded me that as hard as I was trying, I was powerless to save the daughter that I loved so deeply. I really needed at a whole new level to fully surrender Sarah's life to the Lord and trust him to accomplish his sovereign purposes in his power and his way. And I recognized that he alone could change her heart and protect her from the enemy who was really out to destroy her life. Mm -hmm. And so I began to pray a very scary prayer Lord, do whatever it takes to bring Sarah to you. Mm. Um, but I so desperately wanted Sarah to turn to Christ as her identity, her help, her strength. Um, and I, at, at the same time, I, I also needed God to give me fresh clarity on what my role was, because what I had been doing wasn't working. Mm. Mm-hmm. So among other things, what he showed me, it was it meant accepting and learning to value Sarah's god-given personality and temperament which was very different from mine um and then i finally i had to humbly begin to listen more to Sarah's heart when she did speak because she she was holding a lot in but i was i needed to to better understand the pressures that she was dealing with at school which were very different than the pressures I had mm. had to deal with mm. in high school. Mm. And so along with the boundaries and the protective measures that we were that we were needing to make as her parents, Sarah also needed to be shown the compassion and grace that Jesus offers all sinners through the gospel.
1: I think you've touched on two kind of main areas which are so relevant for the whole parenting journey one is that our children are are different to us and that can take some adjustment Mm -hmm. as parents because we naturally parent the sort of child that we were but our children are not us and so that is a big adjustment (laughs) at any stage and the second is that idea of letting go you know letting our children Mm -hmm. go into into Mm -hmm. God's hands and that is that's not easy um, we yeah. like to be in control. We like to fix things. And it's, yeah, yeah it's not easy. So thank you for sharing that. That's, mm. that's super encouraging. But of course, this wasn't the end of your story, Sarah. Praise no. God.
2: <laughs> yes. no kidding.
1: How did you return to God? Were there key people involved in this journey? Were there key events? How did that happen?
2: Yeah, well, it really, God really used that time in the hospital to, to get a hold of me. Um, like I said, it, it did really feel like rock bottom. I think um it was interesting because I remember my parents dropping me off and I felt such a mixture of mm-hmm. anger, but really more than that was fear and sadness. I just felt so it I think it just it highlighted how I just felt like I needed somebody to see me. Mm-hmm. And I had done everything the wrong way to do that because I'd actually blocked all the people that really loved me <laughs> and were trying to see me. I was resisting that. But um I think part of it is I was seeing God as though I couldn't live up to his standards because of where I was, what I was having to face. And God used that time. I remember sitting alone in this room, that it, it just it felt so sterile. It felt so kind of symbolic of where my heart was. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I couldn't see anybody. I couldn't talk to anybody. I had to be alone in this room. And the Lord used that to just make me get to the point where I felt so broken. I knew I had nowhere to turn but him. And he used everything that my parents had been instilling in me for so many years that I think they probably didn't realize was really getting through. It was in that moment that that's what came to the forefront because everything else had to fall away. I had, I had no other distractions anymore. Mm -hmm. And it kind of was this fork in the road. I either don't want to live anymore or God, I need you to save me from what, from everything that is Mm -hmm. happening in my life, both from my own heart and from the pain I'm feeling from the, from others. And so I really didn't have many words. I, all I could have was a Bible in my room. And so I sat there, I opened it and I just said the simplest, Lord, I can't do this anymore. God, if you really are who you say you are, I need you to give me the strength to keep going. And I need you to save me and help me. And, you know, these things are never overnight. Like the pain melts away. Everything's peachy. We're all good to go. But God really did do a miraculous work in my heart. Mm -hmm. It was in this sense, it was miraculous. The anger I felt towards my parents absolutely melted away. Wow. When I was in that hospital, every ounce of it went away. And all I could see was how much they had fought for me and how much they loved me, even though we hadn't agreed on everything, even though I felt angry at them for so long. What came through all of that was their persistent love and their mm-hmm. persistence in being unwilling to give up. And <clears throat> I was able to see glimpses of their boundaries as a sign of their care for me. Um, And so God used that as a major turning point. It was a long road after that. I'm still working through (laughs) the years of healing from some of the, the things I endured. But the work God did in my relationship with my parents and my relationship with him was it taught me that Jesus is not only my savior, but he needs to be my Lord. And that was the part that I think, as I transitioned from being, in a sense, following my parents' faith and thinking I believed the same things. But then when I hit this point where I had a I had to sacrifice a lot to continue following that, yeah, and I was gonna have to endure a lot of pain to continue following that. That's when I had to decide, do I really want this? do do is this really worth it? And that meant entrusting my identity. It meant entrusting the things that felt so important to me that God had allowed to be taken sports, um, my relationships with other people, was I willing to follow him even at that cost? And I think I had to get to the point where I said, Yes, otherwise I can't go on anymore.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of a, of a new trajectory in many ways. And of course, he used other people to some extent. Um, church, I, you know we had been involved in church, a youth pastor had come to see me, but really more than anybody else, my parents were the only ones that saw the depth of what I was going through. Yeah. And they were the only ones that were really able to fight for me on the ground level to as much as they humanly could. Um, And so I think that was the beauty is as my heart softened, I was able to finally see the love in their actions towards me rather than them trying to
3: create more heartache for me.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. And it's so encouraging as well to just be reminded that what you say and what you do as a parent is significant and does carry weight and influence, even if you can't always see where that's going, or you can't see yeah. evidence of it in your child's life. So thank yeah. you. I think that's really encouraging to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of related to that, Linda, um, I wanted to ask you, what are, we have five uh, key tools that we use in parenting for faith and um, that we encourage parents to use as they disciple their children. And the first of them is creating windows, giving our kids glimpses into what it looks like to live life with God in the highs and the lows of, of everyday life. Do you think this is still possible, even if our children aren't practicing their faith for themselves? We, do you feel in any way you were able to create windows into your own faith, even when Sarah was at a point where she was rejecting Jesus maybe in her own life?
3: Yeah, um, you know, one of the key verses in my life has been Matthew 6, which is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Um, The question I had to ask myself is, what does it mean to worship God above all else when you so desperately um, are trying to love your children, your husband well, and you want them to love you, you know, Mm -hmm. so that becomes a challenge. And one way I was tested in this was when Sarah would occasionally ask me why I couldn't be like the moms of her friends. Uh, which usually meant letting her do what she wanted to do. (laughs) Sounds very familiar. More than than what we believed was best for her. Um, And when you are striving to be a faithful parent, but your child sees you as the enemy, it, it can be tempting to cave in. But one thing God really helped me to understand was that what my resistant daughter most needed from me was to love her unconditionally with both Christ's love and truth, offering a window of gospel grace to her in every way possible. Uh, What I was learning in those days very rapidly was that grace meant learning to be like Jesus to a daughter who at that time didn't even want to talk about Him. Mm. And I quickly learned I couldn't do that without relying on His grace myself very desperately. And so some of the ways this worked itself out was learning, and I didn't always do this right, but learning not to respond when she said something hurtful. Um, Giving her a hug and saying, I love you when I was hurting inside. Letting her know that our love for her wasn't based on her behavior and that we would never stop fighting for her. And reminding Sarah, when God gave me the opportunity how much he loved her. Um, And, you know, when our children are resisting us, we need to remember that they're really resisting God's authority and love. Mm. And so what we can show them through the window of our lives is that God's truth is a safe place to run and a solid foundation. And I think we show them the love of the father when we do our best to demonstrate our own unconditional love, even when we're disagreeing with their choices. Finally, and this took a little bit more time, uh, is God convicted me of the need to ask forgiveness of Sarah for ways that I had sinned against her. I I really often didn't understand her. I was making judgments about her without knowing everything that was really happening in her life. Um, And so as I learned to do that, humbling myself myself, that provided another window that could point her to the good news of the gospel.
1: Sarah, sadly, this story, the story of the prodigal, is so common amongst church families. How mm-hmm. would you advise any Christian parents listening who might be going through this, how would you advise them to respond in these situations if they have a child or children who appear to be turning their back on the faith that that their parents have have taught them and tried to nurture in them?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, I, I want to say you are not alone. I think mm-hmm. we often, especially in the Christian community, um, parents feel like they have to isolate because they're afraid of what people are going to think. Um, and the reality is, is more families are dealing with it than we realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> I think just from the child's perspective, I the things that really stood out is my parents didn't give up on me. I was retreating from the very people that actually loved me the most and could have helped me the most. But you you don't have the maturity at that age often. Um, and even older, even if you're older and you have not quite grasped the grace of the gospel. And I think I was focused on this law base to some extent that I wasn't acceptable because of this mm-hmm. or because of that. And so it felt easier to push it away and to run from it than to actually move towards it. Um, and so for parents in our, one of the chapters in our book, um, for moms called, he gives more grace. We, we write specifically on our story in this, in this particular way. And we give kind of three things in regards to kind of the idea of the prodigal son story in account in the Bible. And some of the things we glean from it is the patience of a father, Mm. um, he was always waiting and ready to receive his son when he came back. He wasn't sitting there stewing and angry and like resenting his son. He was patiently waiting for him. Um, he was trying, you know, as parents, how do we do that? We, we keep asking our kids questions. We keep trying to pursue them. Mm-hmm. We keep trying to understand what's happening in their life that maybe I'm not seeing maybe what's under the surface of the anger that that's just the outer working of the pain they're maybe facing and being able to see that very strong will that kids tend to have who resist us mm-hmm. is also the strong will God can use and you do mighty things through right. and so mm-hmm. not always seeing that purely as a negative but even helping our kids see you are you have a strong determined will and this is something that God can use for amazing things. This yeah. is not just a negative thing that you need to get rid of. It's It needs to be redirected towards the right direction. Yeah. Um, and so even just praying towards that end, our kids may not be wanting to hear that at the moment, but we can still pray that way. Um, the other thing is just the love as my mom has spoken, that speaks more volumes, I think, than we realize. The fact that we continue to say, I don't agree with what you're doing but I love you anyway. And I'm going to be here for you and ready to receive you. And I am going to be praying for you and fighting for you. That speaks volumes that even if you've given up on yourself, I haven't. And I just think that goes a lot further than we think it does Mm -hmm. because the behavior may not show a gratitude (laughs) of that um, type of parenting, but it does, I believe, get through that God can then bring that out when he reaches their heart. Um, And then lastly, just holding on to hope that no matter how old our child may be, I mean, we may have a 40-year-old child that's still resisting the faith and walking away that grieves parents, Um, but holding on to that hope that as long as we are alive and they are alive, there is still hope.
1: What encouragements would you give to a Christian parent whose child appears to be turning their back on Jesus?
3: Well, I think it's really important to remember that we are all prodigals in God's eyes. Uh, Apart from his mercy, we're all rebels who deserve his judgment. That humbles us and keeps us looking to the Lord for what he can do. Uh, And when your child's words and behavior tempt you to believe that you have failed as a parent, remember that God's grace is made perfect in weakness, and he promises to equip us as parents Uh, for our wandering children as we turn to him for wisdom and strength. And then when the enemy comes at you, which the enemy just seems to come when we are feeling like we're at the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, When he comes at you with a a feeling of shame, accusing you that it's your fault, that your child isn't following the Lord. Again, we are to rest in God's all-sufficient grace The truth is we can do everything right, and our children can still walk away from Him. And finally, when you don't see immediate answers to your prayers, keep praying. Remember that God's timing is very often different than ours, and He works in ways that we might not expect or could even imagine. Mm -hmm. He simply asks us to trust His unfailing love and His faithfulness. And he really is a faithful God.
2: Yeah. And just for your encouragement, I had once said to my mom that I wanted to be nothing like her when I was in <laughs> high school. And now she is one of my dearest friends who I often <laughs> wish I could be more and more like So for the parents that feel like it's hopeless. Um, yeah. I hope that offers them some hope that we can now call ourselves, as my mom had always hoped, that we are sisters in Christ and we are friends. Yeah. Amen. Yeah.
1: That's a wonderful testimony. Thank you so much for sharing so honestly and so generously of your story. That Mm -hmm. has really encouraged me and I know it will encourage lots of others. And just before we go, our time's pretty much up, but I did want to give you a chance to share about your book coming out because I'm really excited about it. The blurb looks so enticing and I think lots of people will want to hear about it. Uh, You mentioned it, I think, Sarah, can you give us a a little bit more, uh, a few more details? What is it? When's it coming out?
2: Yeah. So it's called, He Gives More Grace, 30 Reflections for the Ups and Downs of motherhood through the years. Um, we co-wrote it because we really wanted the wisdom my mom has of having parented through adulthood and now even grandkids, whereas I'm kind of still in the thick of it. So things are very, very fresh. And so we really tried to be helpful in terms of overarching umbrella truths of scripture and, um, the way God meets us in the very nitty gritty aspects of motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really tried to be very practical. We literally have 30 chapters that touch on different aspects of motherhood. And, um, we're just really excited for the hope that it will really meet moms where they need it, that he really does give more grace. We are not left to our own resources. Um, and so that comes out December 1st through the Good Book Company.
3: So we hope you will check it out. Um, and we really hope it will be an encouragement. It's a, a devotional, a 30-day devotional. So we're hoping it will be more accessible to moms, no matter what season of life that they're in.
1: It sounds brilliant. I can't wait to read it. And I'll pop it in the show notes for anyone listening who would also like a copy. So December the 1st, He Gives More Grace, coming out with the Good Book Company. Sarah and Linda, thank you so much for your time today. Mm-hmm. Take care. God bless. Thank you for having us. Thank
0: you so much. We like to end our podcast with a question to ask your kid to spark an interesting conversation. This week's question is, what's the hardest thing about being a Christian for you? Now, if they don't identify as being a Christian at the moment, you might want to change it up a little bit. Maybe ask them what puts them off or... um, Yeah, just share what you find challenging about being a Christian and see what doors that opens up. But we hope you have a great conversation. We are going to be back next week with uh, Ian Henderson from The Naked Truth talking about pornography. This is another one that I would say is essential listening, even if you think your kids aren't old enough for that to be an issue that affects them yet. I think he's going to blow your mind with some of the statistics and facts around that. So uh, do make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast and whatever platform you're listening to, click follow or subscribe. And I'll make sure that you get that episode next Tuesday as soon as it comes out. Have a great week. Bye.